ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, if you've got ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email. Ignition at sfcatholic.org is the address. Ignition at sfcatholic.org. I am joined on the phone today by Carl Olson. Hi, Carl. Hi, Chris. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, too. And and Carl and I are going to talk today about um, a figure who I've I'd heard of 20-plus years ago, 25 years ago probably, um, the early 20th century British journalist and convert to Catholicism, G.K. Chesterton. But I've really, um, just in the last, well, six, well, frankly, year kind of, but especially the last three months, been become really entranced by this man and what he means for us as Christians, as Catholics today, in our work trying to grow, to deepen our own faith and and share with others. And, and uh Chesterton has similarly been, well, more importantly, um, a part of Carl's own journey, but we'll get into that in this episode. If you've ever tuned into Ignition before, want to introduce ourselves a little bit. Um, I am the host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls. Been in that role since 2002. Since 1999, I've been in the role of husband to Jermaine, um, so 20 plus years, and um, we have five kids, uh, sophomore down to second grader as we're recording this, at least. Um, all, they're all born and raised in eastern South Dakota. Carl, why don't you introduce, introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners, if they've never had the pleasure of reading your books or hearing you before? <laughs> well, uh, I am uh, an editor uh, for Ignatius Press, and I've been doing that since 2003, uh, primarily in the last few years as editor of Catholic World Report. Uh, my wife, Heather, and I entered the Catholic Church in 1997, uh, we were both raised in evangelical Protestant backgrounds and both attended evangelical Bible colleges. Uh, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage. And oh, I you one-upper. 50, what so. the heck? You can't just let so my this, 20 yeah, years... So Come on. Uh, and it's always going to be that way, buddy. I'm always going to be ahead of you. <laughs> um, but we're, we'll, we'll give all credit some, to our wives. There we go. Um, and I turned uh, 50 earlier this year. So this year's been kind of a you know couple big landmarks. In terms of numbers, uh, luckily I don't really care about numbers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, I, I was I was raised I was raised in much more of a kind of an anti-Catholic home than my my wife was, um, and Chesterton uh, was was kind of a key person in working through a number of things. Uh, came at a really key time. I, I kind of, in a sense, kind of came to him late. Although I was twenty, let's see, I was twenty. I think I was 23 or 24 when I began to read him seriously. And when I say late, I say that because when I was at Bible college as a 19, 20, 21-year-old, I was introduced to um, Flannery O'Connor, Charles Williams. I was already reading C.S. Lewis and some yeah. others. I didn't really read Chesterton until after that, which in hindsight is kind of surprising um, because, you know, C.S. Lewis, for example, was hugely influenced by Chesterton. Right. Um, he cited Chesterton's book, The Everlasting Man, which is on Christ, as a, as a key book for him. Um, but Chesterton came at a really perfect time, so I think it was providential. 
uh, it was a time where I was really trying to, I, I knew that the, the evangelical Protestantism that I was, I had been living was not, and that there's something missing. And some of that was uh, liturgical, but Chesterton brought a joyfulness. Yeah. There's a real joyfulness to his that really was good for me because I tend, as you know, I tend to be a little bit more on the uh, glass half empty, cracked at the bottom, falling off a cliff. Kind of person. <laughs> so, Ladies, uh, this is all true, everything he's saying about him. Yeah. So, Yes, the thing I love about Chesterton is so different from me. You know, really, <laughs> incredibly uh, joyful, but not in some flippant way. Yeah. Sometimes presented as being kind of flippant, he's not. When you really get into him, so yeah, uh, my my own story is uh, caught up a bit in. Uh, certainly, Chesterton plays a role, a big role, and has. I mean, I, I go back to him all the time. I go back and reread. Uh, his stuff uh, a lot and I always benefit from it always yeah I'm really looking forward to this this conversation with you what, what we're, what we're going to do is is talk just briefly in case you've never heard of GK Chesterton before just give you a brief biographical sketch uh, and then look forward to hearing um Carl, what you what you have to say about him, uh, whatever angle. Just before we get into that, I for me, um, I like I said, I, I encountered him. My my reversion was um, in the fall of '94, so uh, that's my 25 years, Carl. Uh, so <laughs> just over 25 years ago, um, where I I came back to practice my faith and heard about Chesterton relatively early on and read tried i should say tried to read him but couldn't i mean i i don't know how many times well i do probably two or three maybe four times i've i've tried to read orthodoxy and the everlasting mm-hmm. man and never succeeded the only thing by chesterton that until more recently that i was able to get through that I actually finished was the man who was thursday one of his fiction um works of fiction um but until yeah. recently for some reason there was there's some there was there is something about the style of him that that was just an obstacle for me but it, it's for me now it's it's one of those things like the 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 proverb or the cliche whatever when the student is ready the teacher will appear i mean chesterton has reappeared in my life mm-hmm. in a way where um i think it is providential as you said for when you met him i think it is for me uh, for reasons that maybe we'll explain later later for me it's also providential why why he's he's appeared in a way that i find him easy to engage in now but we'll get into that later carl tell us a little bit about this guy that we're talking about today well chesterton was uh was born in london in uh 1874 and his family had a really great childhood i mean he, he spoke very fondly of his childhood uh but it wasn't really Christian in any overt sense. They were basically kind of uh, non-practicing Unitarians, his family. Um, and a really key moment came in his teens, late teens, uh, when he was pursuing art school. He had some artistic uh, talents. Um, he got involved a little bit in the occult, uh, was messing around with a Ouija board, doing various things. And, and Chesterton, who was by nature a very jovial kind of person, uh, kind of entered a very, very dark place. And he kind of hinted later that he actually was a, kind of on the cusp of suicide. Um, and I think really um, that he really stared, if you will, into the abyss. And I think that was an essential moment for him. Mm. When he really came face-to-face with questions about reality and kind of this existential crisis. And from there, he, his life really changed. He, um, he went to art school and he began to, he was always writing, writing poetry, and then he began to write criticism. He actually became known early on for his 
works of criticism on Charles Dickens, who he loved. He actually was almost single-handedly responsible for uh, rehabilitating, if you will, Charles Dickens, who, of course, had been incredibly popular, had fallen out of popularity, and Chesterton helped kind of bring him back. He wrote books on Chaucer and um, Robert Louis Stevenson and others. But uh, a real big breakthrough for him was he wrote a book called Heretics, yeah, uh, which I think was in 19, 1904 or five, right around there. And in Heretics, he really went after a lot of what he believed to be the fault, and rightly believed to be the falsehoods of his era, falsehoods of materialism and kind of this vague, squishy Christianity. Um, and he eventually became... Uh, was became a, an Anglican was was a practicing Anglican. His wife Frances was an Anglican, very so, about Anglican. So clarify and, the timeline there. Because was he was he? Because I know he wrote a lot about different things. He he wrote about the church uh, for a long time and was leading people into the church before he was even Catholic. Did he write Heretics? A long time. Yeah. Did did he write Heretics before he was he already a Christian by the time he wrote Heretics though? Or, or um, I would I would <clears> say. Um, I would say that, yes, he was a Christian, yes. Um, okay. He got married to Francis in 1901, okay. and she, it was through him that he, through her, that he began to practice the Anglican faith, and of course this is very much an, an Anglo-Catholic Christianity, so it was very Catholic in certain key ways. It's really funny, because when you read Chesterton, early Chesterton, uh, he entered the Catholic Church in 1922, but you read Heretics and then Orthodoxy, which was published in 1908, he's like, this guy's Catholic, right? Right. Um, but he didn't enter the church till 1922. He took a long time to enter the church in part because of his wife. He was he, he realized that he, you know she wasn't going to become Catholic, and so there was some real torment there because they were an incredibly devoted couple, very very closely devoted, very loving. Um, they were not able to have children, but they continually surrounded themselves with godchildren and and and, and had a really joyful uh, household. Chesterton was famous for being absent-minded. <laughs> yeah. He, he once was out and about, and he had to telegram his wife and ask her, you know, I'm at the, I'm at this train station. Where am I supposed to be? Right. And this is kind of this is how he he was. Um, but he was incredibly brilliant. Um, he he uh, yeah, a quick example is I think is important. He decided uh, I forget the whole story, but he was either it was asked to or decided to write a book on St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Uh, this was after he became Catholic in the mid-1920s. And so he had uh, his secretary go out and get a bunch of books on Aquinas, who he'd already studied before. But he goes and he sits down, and he, he reads through these books a little bit, and then he basically, he, he dictated a lot of his books. He dictates this book on Aquinas, which is very famous now. And Etienne Gilson, who's a great French Thomist, yep. a great yep. Thomistic thing, he just said, this is like the best book on it was quite simple written, um, and especially I, you know, it's remarkable because especially because Josson, I mean, he, like, I, he also says, like, I mean, some of us have been have been studying and writing about Saint Thomas yeah. our entire lives, and here comes Chesterton, who sort of just plops down and cranks out this profound little book about this incredible 13th century um, Dominican thinker, theologian, saint, and 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 it kind of moved into his thought a little bit. Um, a really key book for me to read after I'd, after, after I'd already read a lot of Chesterton uh, was a book by Hugh Kinner, um, who wrote a book in 1947 called Paradox and Chesterton. And Hugh Kinner, who went Are, on to have a really brilliant literary career... Is Kenner K-E-N-N, by the way? Carl, how do you spell his last name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hugh Kenner, K-E-N-N-E-R. 
Skinner went on and wrote books on a, a lot of the Irish and English poets. He was very well known for that. The thing that's remarkable about this book, Paradox of Chesterton, published by Sheedon Moore in 1947, is that Kenner was 22 years old when he wrote it. Um, it's a remarkable book because he, speaking of re- rehabilitating, this is a time when Chesterton had kind of fallen out of favor. Yeah. Chesterton died in 1936. And in the 40s and 50s, uh, people really didn't pay much attention to Chesterton, his writings. And Kinner made this really incredible, profound argument, basically saying, you know, the thing is, you got to understand that paradox, the way that Chesterton uses paradox, where he would kind of take things and turn them inside out, and it would seem sometimes kind of flippant or whatever. Kinner's argument is that the greatness of Chesterton is located in this really profound metaphysics, that he, at his heart, was a Thomist who really got reality, to put it in just those simple terms, and then expressed it in really popular, sometimes seemingly kind of glib ways that would would kind of put some people off. But if you really paid attention to Chesterton, you'd begin to see that, wow, this guy really understands profound philosophical and theological truths and then is able to present them in really remarkable and original ways. Um, and um, I've, always, <laughs> I've always been blown away by the fact that Kinner was only 22 when he wrote yeah. that book. Um because it's really a fantastic book, and I think it actually was brought back into to print recently, which is which is great. It's a really great introduction to Chesterton. But I think he really gets at something that's important, that Chesterton, who wrote a lot of stuff on current events and, and this and that, was had a keen insight into what is, as, as Father, the late Father James Shaw would say, you know, what is, what is reality? Yep. Chesterton is able to do that. Um, That's why I think so. He, most of what he wrote was in the form of of newspaper columns. I mean, he wrote several books, but right. I mean, he was he was he was a journalist. He was a columnist, um, and 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 he wrote about everything. I mean, there was no topic from from what I've seen and what I understood. There was no topic that G.K. Chesterton couldn't write about. And, and, and he, was, he was a good writer. I mean, I could write about anything, but nobody would want to read it. I mean, he, he could write about, and I think this is also one of the strange things, Carl, about how he was forgotten is that um, he, he was known not just in Christian Catholic circles in England and, and abroad um, during his lifetime. I mean, he, he was known, especially throughout Britain, as, as one of the greatest authors of his time. And for him to be so quickly yeah. forgotten uh, really was unfortunate. But there, there has been a resurgence. But he was, he was really known throughout British society, throughout the English-speaking world, um, as, as a brilliant mind and, and, and a beautiful author. Yeah, and I think part of the what happened is in part was uh, because he wrote a lot of occasional stuff on on current events. You know, people kind of ignored that once it had been written. I mean, yeah. he was tossing out, so to speak, you know, three, four, five uh, columns a week or so. I mean, he was remarkably prolific. I mean, I think uh, Dale Alquist, who's the president of the American Chesterton Society, who knows Chesterton stuff inside and out, told me once. I I think I remember the number. It's like. Six million words, or something like wow. that. It's, it, it's what Chesterton had in print. It's incredible. You know, but you, you like a couple of quotes from him for people who don't, don't really know him. Um, like one of his famous quotes: "A dead thing can go with a stream, but only a living thing can go against it." Yep. This is from the Everlasting Man. Um, from one of his, his 1930 articles columns. He said, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they become fashions. Um, <laughs> the thing I would also point out, too, is 
he was really prophetic. And a great example of this is that he, early on, right when, when Adolf Hitler started to become known and started to come into power in Germany, right from the start, you can go back, Chesterton was criticizing him. He was pointing yep. out the errors and the deep, deeply problematic beliefs behind national socialism and was remarkably consistent and really saw this clearly. He was also the same thing with, with communism. I mean, he his insight into philosophical errors was remarkable. It's just that he didn't write in an academic style. He didn't use academic or even technical language. To yeah, do it, yeah. Right? So yeah, and and not and not. I mean, he yeah. His he he wrote a bunch, but it was in the, again in the form of columns. So it's not like he's got these these volumes upon volumes, you know, multi volume works on you know the nature of reality or something. It's done um, in in columns in language that's meant to be read and understood by the ordinary average layman. One book that that I've I haven't read it yet, but I'm 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 in the process of getting a hold of it through through my local library. Um, Aidan Nichols, who's a brilliant uh, Dominican uh, British Dominican, uh, alive and and writing today, a theologian, wrote a book I didn't hear of until just a month or so ago. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, theologian. Um, so I, have you I've got read it in my hand? Right, I've got it in my hand right now, Chris. And see, I'm so jealous. So I have, I have like, a little. I have a little. <laughs> Why well, I. I I uh, picked up a lot of Chesterton early on. I went through a stage where I read uh, all of his major works and a lot of his other stuff. And of course, then working for Ignatius Press, I had access to a lot of um, uh, his, you know, collected because Ignatius Press has been publishing his collected works. Um, that book by Nichols is fantastic. I, the one book uh, that I um, come back to again and again, and I really tout for people who want to understand Chesterton, uh, especially Chesterton as an, an apologist for Christianity. Because he really defended in a, uh, defended Christianity so brilliantly on so many different levels and different ways. There's a fantastic book written now, close to 20, well, maybe over 20 years ago, by David Fagerberg, 1998, 21 years ago. David Fagerberg now teaches at the University of uh, Notre Dame. He teaches liturgical theology, but he's a huge Chesterton guy. Yeah. He wrote a book called The Size, the Size of Chesterton's Catholicism, and published by University of Notre Dame Press. I think this is one of the greatest books ever written about Chesterton as a defender of, and it's full of the quotes. It's a great place to start with as well. Um, and, you know, Fagerberg's also written some other books on Chesterton. So, but I think for people who are kind of, you know, people, I've, I'm always asked about Chesterton, where do you start? You know, where do I start reading Chesterton? Um, <clears throat> the thing is, Hey, hold on, Carl. I want, hold on, just just in yeah. case somebody is just tuning in, who that is Chesterton, and who are these guys? Um, you're, you're listening to Ignition. This is a broadcast for the New Evangelization. He's Carl Olson. I'm Chris Bergwald. G.K. Chesterton is our topic today. Early 20th century uh, British journalist, writer, author, speaker, um, who was not raised as a Christian, but first became um, an Anglican Christian and then became Catholic. Uh, and there's been a resurgence about him recently. So, Carl, I do just in the eight or nine minutes we have left what recommendations you were just starting to talk about books uh but then also i'd be curious to know your thoughts on, on why chesterton is important for us as americans today in the 21st century yeah well um i first you know you mentioned um a man uh man called thursday um that was actually the first chesterton book that i read which is a novel and I think I read that because it was mentioned by Russell Kirk in one of his books. And I oh. read that, and I really liked it. And then 
I think very providentially, I read the next book I read was a book written the same year, 1908, Orthodoxy. Um, for people, I think for people who are interested in Chesterton thoughts as a Christian, especially as an apologist, I'd point them to Orthodoxy. Uh, other places to start that might be easier are his Father Brown Mysteries, who are a series yeah. of short mystery stories about a, a priest called Father Brown. It's actually based on a priest um, that that Chesterton was close to. And these are mysteries, and, and they bring out a lot of the metaphysical theological thought of Chesterton through the character of Father Brown. Um, so those are good places to start. Now, when you... If you're really interested in the lives of saints, both of his books on uh, his books on Aquinas and uh, Saint Francis of Assisi are both yep. wonderful as well. Very accessible. Um, that's the thing. Both those books are, are relatively short. They're very accessible. I think. Um, again, he writes about like Aquinas, who of course is a theological philosophical giant, but he doesn't use the lingo or the the jargon that might be you know might throw people off. It's just very accessible. Um, the Everlasting Man, which is considered to be by many kind of his masterpiece of sorts, is more daunting. Um, it's longer. Um, what can throw people off on Chesterton, I think, a little bit is sometimes he, as you know, he likes to go on <laughs> side trips. Yeah, people are like man, he just he's like he's going everywhere. Um, there's a bit of that, but when you stick with him, you know, he's like he's like getting in a car with somebody who's like, Hey, let's go look at this. And let's go look at that. And you're driving around. You're like, is there a purpose? To what we're doing here? <laughs> and then you begin, you begin to realize, wait a second. Yeah, there's, there is, there's, there, you know, it makes sense. This path that we're going on, he really brings it, he brings it home. You know, he really brings it home. And by the way, at the end of, of the everlasting man, there's this fantastic chapter on the five deaths of the church, mm. which when you think of the, the era that we live in and then we look at, man, gosh, what's going on with the, with the church today and all these difficulties. Uh, that's a great chapter. He talks about how he argues that there's been five times in history when the church has quote unquote died and yet come back even more strongly than before. It's a really profound reflection on the supernatural character uh, of the mm. church. Um, so those, I mean, and, and then if you like, if you like literature, he wrote these great works of criticism again on Robert Louis Stevenson, Charles Dickens, um, others. He wrote a ton of poetry. Uh, he wrote a great poet, a uh, green poem on, on the Battle of Lepanto that's very famous. He wrote a bunch of longer poems, a lot of shorter poems. He wrote a lot of poems that are that are meant to be silly and kind of hilarious. He was um, incredibly funny. That's the thing about Chesterton. He's incredibly funny. Um, you know, he's not he's not a guy trying to prove how smart he is. He just is. He's just effusive by his personality. Um, and then his collected essays. I mean, you, you can leaf through collected essays and find he writes stuff on top hats and right. the Boer War. The, and the, the contents of his pocket. Just, yeah, he just, and what he, it always comes down to this thing to get to the kind of second part of your thing, like why read him today? Chesterton, again, had this understanding of things, the nature of things, of permanent things, of things that endure. He brought an eternal perspective into the temporal realm and really showed how the whole world is this incredible mystery. The creation is this mystery and that it's meant to be properly enjoyed. He, he really had no patience for people who were like constantly, you know, moaning about how tough things were. It's not that he didn't believe that things that was suffering and difficulty in the world. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't um, naive at all. He had, he had lived through some of that himself 
It's just that he really believed that we should be grateful. There's a, I think one the word that you would use a lot with, in addition to joyful with Chester would be gr- grateful. Yeah, he's a man with profound gratitude, and I think this is an easy thing for us to miss. This is why I really needed him when I discovered him. Is I recognize I, I was lacking gratitude. Like, why do I even exist? I mean, I'm sitting there complaining about all these things in my life. It's like. Hey, why do you even exist? Like, why are you complaining about? I mean, life is this this great mystery and delight. And here I'm kind of referencing Walker Percy, um, and and actually as as different as they are, I see similarities between Walker Percy and Chesterton, and that they both realized in their own way that that materialism and philosophical uh, materialism, this belief that the only things that are real are the stuff that we can see and touch, right. It, it doesn't do it. It's not enough that there is a, a mystery and a delight to life, and we have to be grateful and in gratitude and humility, then we can we can allow the grace of God to touch us and to change us. Um, and that really comes through in Chesterton. There's a, just a real calm joyfulness. I think the fact that he was such good friends with his philosophical opponents, like exactly. and yep. uh, H.G. Wells speaks incredibly speaks volumes about him, who he was as a man. Yep. Um, they said nothing but great things about him, right? So he he endures because he really gets reality, and he presents the truths of, of the Catholic faith and the truths of what it is, uh, that what reality is all about in ways that are accessible, they're memorable, they're fun. <laughs> you know, being Christian could be fun. I mean, right. it, you know, it, sh- it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be this dour thing all the time, even yep. though we we recognize the mystery of evil and so forth. Um, and I think that's one of the great and lasting gifts we get from Chesterton. That's that's why he's been so, I don't know, just like uh, I'm so entranced by him over the last several months. I've just become increasingly convinced in my own work of, ha- of helping uh, Catholics here in the diocese who falls deep in their own faith, but share it with others is the, the great obstacle. I think one of the greatest obstacles obstacles to evangelization in our time is indifference. People just, you know, Bishop Barron, yeah. the cult, the culture of, eh. you know, when you're trying to share the beauty, the joy, the truth, the goodness of of, of Catholicism, people's responses, yeah. You know, I uh, I want to watch TV instead or whatever. Yeah, where the, where there, there's there's not even any passion or any desire. Um, I I'm with with many people, including Bishop Barron. And give me give me an angry angry atheist any day over a milk toast, lukewarm, indifferent eh, kind of person. And Chesterton, yeah, Chesterton, but- Chesterton to me and his joy and his enthusiasm breaks through that that wall of indifferentism and that numbness. And I think behind that indifferentism, in many cases, maybe not always, but in many cases, it's a, it's a fear. Yeah. It's a fear of having to decide. And I think with, with Chesterton, you get this decisiveness. It's not coercive or harsh, but it's just very real. Like Amen. a great quote from Orthodoxy, he says, progress should mean that we are always changing the world to fit the vision. Instead, we are always changing the vision. You know, and he gets to this point that this this enamorment with progress, when really we should be. Car, you got five seconds. About what, is, what, is, what is what is true? What is true? Right, that's his thing. Amen. Amen. G.K. Chesterton, read him. Thanks, Carl. 
And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, email us ignition at sfcatholic.org or tweet us at sfdiocese and use the hashtag ignition with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.